everything really planned for this morning. Uh, I, I drove down from Newcastle at about 6 a.m. and uh, the kids were still asleep in bed. So last night I planned to pack my bag. I put it in the kitchen uh, and I was going to do this perfect escape and everyone would still be sleeping. Uh, it was the perfect plan. It's a perfect getaway, right? It didn't go to plan. Uh, my son, Ozzy, started waking up every 15, 20 minutes throughout the whole night, right? So I was up all the time. Our dog started scratching at the uh, the door. And so I decided, look, I can't get any sleep. Uh, Joe's got these new great sleeping tablets. I might try one of those. So I tried one of those, and, man, I went to sleep. But um, I'm still feeling the side effects of that at the moment. And so it's just this weird situation, right? And then driving this morning at 6 o'clock, um, needed to grab some petrol, so pulled over at the, you know, the halfway service station uh, and the central coast and filled up with some petrol, got some munchies to eat on the way, and then I went to pay and my card has been cancelled <laughs> because I changed my cards over last week and they didn't tell me that they actually cancel your existing cards, right? So I'm in a situation where I've got to phone all these people, I ended up calling a friend and getting them to pay for it. So it was just this kind of semi-chaotic thing, but I was planning for perfection, right? I had this perfect plan. Uh, but it's so good to know that God is perfect in a world that isn't perfect, in a world of oddballs and people like you and me and John the Baptist who just seem to be little left of kilter. In the midst of all that, God is still working and he does have a perfect plan in spite of us. And that's a good thing, amen? That's a great thing, right? Because it means that you and I don't have to try and be perfect because Jesus is the one who was and is and so today I felt really kind of compelled and convicted to talk about John the Baptist. Uh, when Pete said, oh, hey, can you uh, come and speak and fill in the first week of Jan? I'm like, sure, I'd love to. Uh, what do you want me to speak on? He says, whatever, just speak on whatever you want. I'm like, oh, thanks. Um, and so as I was praying, I do a lot of kayaking. Uh, there's a big river next to our house. And so I often pray and kayak at the same time. John the Baptist, the story of John the Baptist kept coming to me. So I'm a firm believer that God speaks to all of us today, right? And so I'm also believe that God has something for us today. So uh, would you quickly join me in prayer one more time? And we'll just acknowledge that God is here amongst us. Heavenly Father, we declare that you are the God of time. They've got a space, they've got a past history, they've got a future history, and you are right here. We know when two or three or more are gathered that you are with us, and that is definitely evident in abundance today. We thank you for the testimony of John the Baptist, and we pray that you would speak to us through him and his life in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, in true... Um, True Nick Casa fashion, uh, we're going to listen to a song real quickly. Is that okay? We're going to do some appreciative listening. Um, you may have heard this song before if you actually came to Feast back in the day. Uh, I forced Dan Cattell when we we're doing worship music together to listen to this song once a week. Uh, and it's probably why he's not here today. Uh, <laughs> um, but if you just um, let this song um, speak to you and listen to its words and the music and then we'll get into it. Cue music. This is part of the song. Mm. 
It's Rufus Wainwright's rendition of Agnes Day, right? Did you hear him singing Agnes Day, right? And Agnes Day is Latin for the most famous words of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did you hear Lynn read that in verse 29 at the end when she's doing the, the Bible passage? Uh, John the Baptist knows who he is and who he isn't. And then the first time that he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which in Latin means Agnes Day. I was brought up as a Catholic, and we would um, kind of do the Agnes Day call and response before we take communion. And three times we'd say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace and would prepare us to take communion and remind us that God is the one who takes away the sins of the world, not us. Uh, It's beautiful, right? And it's so fitting, that song, when we talk about John the Baptist, because he was very clear on who he was and who he wasn't. It was a real interesting time when John the Baptist came onto the scene, right? Really interesting time, just before Jesus came on and started doing his uh, ministry. Israel had been kicked to and fro by all the superpowers of the last few hundred years, right? They were um, oppressed and being basically politically overhauled by whoever was empowered in the ancient world. And this time it was the Roman authorities, right? The Roman uh, superpower that was subject to them. And as well as that, there would be no Old Testament prophets who had spoken for over 400 years. So you get this situation where God seems silent. You get this situation where things aren't the way they should be. We shouldn't be oppressed. We shouldn't be held um, captive, right, to other governing powers. Things need to change. And so around this time, there were murmurs and thoughts and prayers around the Messiah who is to come, the Jewish Messiah. Some people thought this Messiah would come and be a great leader for Israel and kick the Romans' butts and like kind of take world power. Other people thought this Messiah would come and bring world peace. Other people thought that this Messiah would come in a spiritual, as a spiritual being and bring God's heaven down to earth. There was all this talking going on about the Messiah. We need the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. But what kind of Messiah are we looking for? Needless to say, heaps of Messiahs people came and claimed to be the Messiah. There were people who came and took all of uh, a bunch of Israeli people out into the desert and said, this is it, I am here. There are others who came and tried to start a rebellion. So there was all this commotion about, we want the Messiah, and all these people who are claiming to be the Messiah. And enter John the Baptist. John the Baptist enters on the scene in Jerusalem. He was the son of a priest, Zacchaeus. Sorry, Zechariah. He was the cousin of Jesus, was born six months prior to Jesus, right? And the thing is about when you are born to a priest, it is expected that you will also be a priest. 
There's only one way to become a priest in the first century Judaism, and that is you be born into it. So he was expected to become a priest. Not only that, he was a real odd character. Mark and Matthew's accounts say that he had, um, like, wild, he ate wild honey and locusts and came from the desert, right? He had really weird hair and he wore, um, weird clothes that represented the great prophet Elijah. But he was an outcast. He's not someone that you would invite over and would think, okay, they're not going to make a scene. He was someone, just by the sheer way he looked, and I can imagine the way he smelled, people were like, who on earth is this guy? And to add to that, John the Baptist was also outspoken. He said things that jarred people. He didn't fit the mold, right? He started as a priest, baptizing people in repentance to turn back to God and away from their sins. And to our ears, maybe you've heard those words before in church. That seems pretty normal. But back then, he to, to baptize everybody, not just people outside of the Jewish faith who want to come into it, but even Jews. That was totally revolutionary and almost offensive. Because if you were a Jew... If you were born in the line of Abraham, you didn't need to be baptized. You were already locked in. So he starts this ministry and he gets this great following. We're told of heaps of people from um, Judea and Jerusalem came to the River Jordan to be baptized, right? Uh, And Luke tells this story that there's one time when in the height of his fame, he totally cuts into a group of people and calls them, you baby vipers, you shouldn't even be here. Baby vipers? What on earth is that? It's basically a snake, right? But a baby snake. Vipers were known in those times to eat out of the mother's womb to survive. So he had this, this real call on people who were coming and telling them to repent. But he was really hard on some people. He called them baby vipers because they were coming just for the hype and the buzz. And they weren't actually genuine in coming to be baptized and, and repent to God. And then people ask, what do we do? What should we do then? And he says to them, well, look, if you've got a lot, you've got two tunics, give to those who have none. You tax collectors, right? If you're taking extra cash for yourself, don't do that anymore. Just deal straight. You soldiers, don't falsely put people in prison that don't need to be. Don't extort money from others. So John is this priest guy who looks, smells, speaks, and acts in a way that is totally unorthodox, totally out of the norm. And he's got a big following. He's not, a, he's not scared to say what he thinks, right? And so this sets the scene for, for the Pharisees and the religious leaders coming to approach John. Right? You can imagine, right? There's been this hype about the Messiah. Um, there's, there's been these false messiahs coming. There's this hope that the Messiah will come. And then this guy, John, comes. Right? And so the, the Pharisees and religious leaders approach him and say, are you the Messiah? And you would think, right, any lesser person who's got this kind of momentum and this success, um, you could call it life success, could like be a little bit ambiguous with the response and say, well, maybe I'm the Messiah. Maybe I'm not. And just kind of milk, kind of milk it for all it's worth. Does he do that? No. He says, no, I am 
definitely not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. Well, they say, well, are you Elijah? The great prophet. You know, they believed, uh, the Israelites believed that because the great prophet Elijah didn't die, he was called up to heaven, that he would come back just before the Messiah. And he would set things straight. He would kind of reorder disputes between family members, anything in court that couldn't be solved. He would come and solve that. He was the great leveler and equaler, and it was preparing a way for the Messiah to come. And you think about it, if John is wearing kind of sorry, Elijah-type clothes, and if he's telling people to live right, he kind of fits the mold. But he says, nah, I'm not Elijah either. And they said, well, are you a prophet, the great prophet? And again, instead of trying to take credit and status and cashing in on the situation, he says, I'm none of these things. And he quotes straight from the great book of Isaiah, right? Chapter 40, verses uh, 3, and he says, I am a voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough ways become smooth. And all the people will see salvation. He's saying, I'm basically a nobody. All I'm doing is preparing the way who, for the one who is to come. And he is a somebody. He is the one that you should be asking these questions to, right? That's essentially what he's saying. He's lowering himself. He's not taking uh, the credit, potentially, for what people are asking him. He's not taking the status that he could, but he's actually pointing to the one who is coming. Really interesting, right? He calls himself, I'm a voice of the one calling in the wilderness from Isaiah. In the Hebrew, you can interpret that. As I am thunder in the desert, right? Some scholars actually uh, rewrite that as I am thunder in the desert. And that's so much cooler, right? If I was going to choose a name, I'd rather be called thunder in the desert than a voice in the wilderness, right? And when you think about thunder, when you think about thunder, you can hear it from far off. Uh, I was just in a family holiday uh, at Bali. It was our first family trip overseas, right? And we were staying in the top northern corner. Uh, it's called Pumitaran, uh, the town of Pumitaran, which is right next to the Java Sea. And there was this mini kind of cyclone forecast for the evening. And so uh, Joe and the kids went to bed and I just stayed up and I could see this massive storm over the expanse of the sea coming. It was absolutely breathtaking. Right? It was one of those electrical storms where you've got that zigzag lightning, you've got the big lightning, and then you've got these rumbles of thunder. Not too loud, but loud enough so you can hear it. Right? And you know, you know, if your parents um, maybe would have taught you when there's a thunderstorm, you look at the lightning and then you hear the thunder because light travels faster than sound. And so the distance between the two is how you determine between how far away the storm is. So in my head, I'm trying to remember, okay, I'm counting three, four seconds. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I know that storm is far away. The storm never came, but I was getting ready for it. Thunder in the desert, that's what John was. He was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And so they asked the Pharisees uh, and the spiritual leaders, they say, okay, 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 you're none of these guys, then why on earth are you 
baptizing not only non-Jews, but Jews. What's going on here? And he says this, I baptize with water, but there's something, there's someone among us that you don't know who's coming after me. And I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying something quite profound, especially to those first century hearers, right? He's saying it doesn't matter what kind of social status, ethnic background, uh, religious superiority you might have. In order to be right with God, we all need to be cleansed. We all need to be baptized as such before God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not a Jew. You can imagine back then, that would be absolutely profound and offensive to those guys. Are you serious? He's saying that. We all need to turn back to God. It doesn't matter where you're from. And then he also says, this person coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. There's a famous Jewish teaching back then saying, the followers of a master were to do everything like a servant, except, except untie the sandals of the master, because that was too much, that was below them. And here John is saying, I won't even do that. This guy is so amazing. Right? And then the next day, John sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes. And there's this beautiful scene in Matt's gospel where Jesus actually asked John to baptize him, right? You can imagine, right, John being asked to, being asked to baptize Jesus, the one that he's just said, I can't even untie his sandals. And he's reluctant about it. But after a while, he actually eventually does it. And there's this beautiful scene where Jesus starts his public ministry by being baptized. And the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And you see God's voice saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And John was witness to that. Man, there's probably no higher privilege than baptizing the Messiah of the cosmos. And yet his attitude was, I can't even be worthy to untie his sandals. <laughs> if you know the story of John, he gets arrested afterwards. And long story short, he eventually gets beheaded in jail in some uh, interesting situation, which he probably should read on about. But Jesus said, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. What a topsy-turvy life, right? This oddball, John the Baptist, seems completely from left field. Like, what is this guy doing? But he's right on the money. He picks out the Messiah, the Savior of the world, right? He has all his success and fame and has an opportunity to say, well, yeah, I might be the Messiah, but he doesn't, right? He has an opportunity for all this stuff to go to his head, to set up shop and create this empire of John the Baptist, but he doesn't. He's faithful to what he thinks God is calling him to, and he does it. And Jesus honors and exonerates and exalts him. And eventually he's sent to prison and he dies. What can we learn from John? Three real quick points. I realize it's quite hot. (laughs) 
What we see is God uses imperfect people, even the weirdos. God uses the oddballs, the people that don't fit in. And that's probably you and me. I used to have this uh, thinking in my head when I was in my early 20s. I'm sounding like I'm really old. <laughs> my parents are so odd and weird. What the heck are they doing? Right? And then after having kids, I'm starting to notice that I'm doing the same odd things that my parents are doing. And my, my daughter the other day said, Daddy, why are you doing that? You're so weird. Right? And it just dawned on me. Man, I am just as weird as my parents and everyone else. If you live with other people for a long time, you realize they might do weird things. Um, The fact of the matter is God uses weird and odd people. It's okay and completely normal that you are off kilter and God can still use you. Doesn't matter how far you think you've fallen, how, how inexperienced you are, how quirky or random you might feel compared to your friends. God uses you like John the Baptist. Think of all the things about who you are that really annoy you about your personality. The story in the Bible has a rich history of using odd and weird people. So you're in good company, right? The second thing is, John was all about what Jesus was doing in his success, not about his success. He was giving gratitude to God and Jesus all the time, right? He had every right, potentially, to say, I'm amazing, I'm doing this, this is great. But he didn't. He didn't at all. What that means for us is all the good things in your and my life, all the things that we succeed in and achieve, Sure, you may have had a hand in it, but they're ultimately because God has allowed you to do it. And therefore, God's great purpose. You might have money in the bank, say, for uh, your next house or a house. You might have things working really well for you in your career, family. It may not be working out for you. But when things, everything that has been given to you is because of God and using it for his glory. And that's what John the Baptist is doing. What if this year... This year that you laid everything before God and say, God, this is yours and I give credit to you and I want you to use it for your favor. What would happen maybe if if we did that this year is like the start of the year. And the last thing is John had a real sense of who he was. As I said before, he knew who he was and who he wasn't. He wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the all-sustaining creator and controller of situations and things. He was just a voice in the wilderness. He was thunder in the desert. He was preparing the way for the Messiah who is to come. And that's what we're called to do, wherever we are in our family space, in our workspace. Wherever you're doing this afternoon, laying on the beach, staying inside aircon, the people that you're connecting with throughout the week, you are kind of a, a foretaste of Jesus coming. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, save us from our indifference. Save us from just going through the flow of things. Lord, we pray that we may know who we are 
a voice in the wilderness proclaiming that the Messiah is coming. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us and convict us to live lives like John the Baptist. Whatever that looks like in our situation. Lord, may we be comforted that we are oddballs and that's okay and you still use us. May we know that everything comes from you and is for your glory and your purposes. And may we do it together. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.